And so, hey, uh, we're in the series called Life Bombs. Let me hear you say Life Bombs. Life Bombs, these things that can blow up our lives. And so, just want to start out by asking you this question this morning. Like, I want you to think back to a time when you were a kid, maybe 8 to 10 years old. Like, for 8 to 10 years old. Some of you, that'll be hard. It's a long time ago, wasn't it? And some of you, not so long ago. But a time when you were 8 to 10 years old, maybe you did something uh, that your parents, you knew they would not approve of. You did something, maybe you pulled your brother's hair, or maybe you disobeyed. Maybe you didn't clean up your room. Maybe you snuck out. And, and you hoped, whatever it was, that you didn't get caught. Whatever it was, you're thinking, if they don't find out, I'm going to be good. But then you heard them call you, and you knew, didn't you? You knew they found out. You knew that they knew what you had done. And you knew the hammer was about to drop. You knew punishment was on the way. Now, for those of you who come from the everybody gets a trophy generation, I'm not talking about they put you in timeout for five minutes, okay? Like, I mean, some of you, that's the worst punishment you got, and all you were was bored for five minutes. I'm talking about you know, you know punishment is on the way. You can hear it in their voice by their tone, that there was this definite dad voice tone that happened or mom voice tone that happened. Maybe it was the volume of their voice. Maybe it was what, how they called you. You know, for those of us from the South, when our parents used our middle name, we knew what? It's going to be a problem. That's right. It's going to be a problem. And so you knew that they were angry, that they had some fury they were going to unleash on you. We know what anger sounds like. We know what anger looks like. We know what anger feels like. Some of us even know what anger smells like, right? Like smoke coming out of our ears. Like we know, we know fury and anger. So let me ask you this question. Now that you kind of feel that just a little bit, what did you get mad about this week? What did you get mad about? You got mad about something, didn't you? Like I don't know what it was, but, but you got mad about something. If, if you didn't, I'm just going to remind you what you got mad about. Anybody say traffic? Let's go. Anybody get mad at traffic? You got behind somebody, and then you would never do this, but they're not going, and you're just like trying to help them go like this. What are you doing, you idiot? Why are you not going, right? We get angry at traffic. Anybody get in line at the grocery store, and every time you get in line, you're like, I don't care what line I'm in, it's going to be the longest. It's going to take me the longest to get through, and you get frustrated. You've been at a restaurant maybe this week. You got aggravated. The food was slow, or it wasn't like you'd asked for, like you'd ordered, you know? Maybe there were some unmet expectations in your life this week. You know, maybe something happened and you thought somebody was going to do something and they didn't do it and you got angry. You know, maybe in in your marriage this week, you know, you thought your spouse was going to do something at home or maybe take care of something or do something really important they didn't and you got angry. You know, maybe maybe you were trying to do something that was you thought was going to be easy, but it ended up taking a long time. That happened to anybody? Can you say home improvements? You know, you try to start a project and it gets hard and you thought, oh, I thought this was going to be 30 minutes. And next thing you know, you've thrown a hammer through the wall and now you got sheetrock damage. Maybe that's just me. Um, right? We, we get angry. There are some things that we get angry about in life. And angry has a lot of different forms, doesn't it? You know, anger can look like fury. It can look like fury. But also, you can see this image of angry. It can also look like hangry, right? Anybody ever been hangry in the room? Right? You weren't until now. Now you're hangry. We're going to hand out Snickers on the way out. Just kidding. You may, you may be grouchy. Anybody grouchy? Anybody ever get grouchy in here? Anybody ever get grouchy? I saved the best for last. Anybody become a drama mama when you get angry? Yeah, come on. We get, we get angry, get grouchy. 
we get frustrated, we get aggravated, we get irritated, we withdraw. We have all these effects of anger. And here's what anger does. Here's what anger does to all of us. First thing it does, it severs relationships, doesn't it? It cuts off relationships. There's some of you that have had relationships severed because of maybe something said in anger, something done in anger. It may be that you still face the feelings of that, even though you may have conversations with that person, but it's still different. Man, anger will sever relationships. It will short-circuit your purpose. When we live with this seething anger underneath the surface of our lives, what happens is we begin to get focused on it, and it goes everywhere that we go. We never leave it behind. It goes everywhere that we go. Have you ever met somebody, and you thought to yourself, why are they so angry? You can just tell because it goes with them everywhere. And eventually, and eventually it serves up regret. We say something or do something or send something that we wish we wouldn't have sent. You know, I was thinking about this in terms of our culture and the way that we communicate. And obviously one of the ways that we communicate is through texting and email. And, and there's three words you always want to remember whenever firing off a text or email. Don't press send. Don't press send. I thought about titling the message, don't press send. Because we would all know. Like if you ever drafted up something, you drafted it up, and you weren't going to send it, and then you hit send, you're like, what did I just do? It is in the universe now. It is not coming back. There is no undo. You're not breaking in a mailbox to get that back. Don't press send. This is something that maybe we've all done. And the truth is, what if I told you when it comes to anger, having no anger is not possible. Having knowing anger is not even desirable. We should have anger at the right things in the right way. See, the title of this message shouldn't be don't press sin. The title of this message should be don't press sin yet. That there is a time when we can be angry in meaningful ways that actually matter. And rather than controlling our anger, we can channel our anger to the things that God is angry for. Like, what are you angry about? Are you angry about parking at Avalon today? Or is there, is there something bigger in your life? Listen, show me what you're angry about, and I'll show you the size of your life. Listen, show me what you're frustrated at, and here's how it looks. I can be angry at somebody, or I can be angry for a problem. I can be angry at somebody, or I can be angry, angry for a problem. Let me give you an example of that, and we're going to jump in the text. So let's imagine you go to a, eat a meal. And there's, you have a single mom who's taking care of you. She's your server. And it's bad. Food's bad. It's cold. It doesn't come out like you want. Now, you can be angry at that server. You can be angry at her for not being competent for the restaurant. You can channel your anger on her. You cannot tip her. Listen, you're perfectly, you're perfectly uh, able to do that, right? You, you don't have to tip her. However, you may ask her a question and recognize that now she's a single mom who's working her third shift so she can buy the medication because her child has the flu and is just trying to put food on the table. And the reason why she's a single mom with three kids has nothing to do with herself. Now changes the game, doesn't it? You're angry for her. You want to do something about her. You're going to give her the biggest tip of your life, Right? And so there's a big difference. So how do we move from being angry at to being angry for? So we're going to unpack this today. Like, what does it look like to be angry at? And then we're going to bridge to how can we be angry for? Because then what you're angry for is where you're going to find your purpose, right? It's where you're going to find a life that matters. So let's grab our Bibles. Matthew chapter 5, please. Matthew chapter 5. Um, in the New Testament, you'll notice on your 
on your screen, you can go to a, grab your paperback and have the page number. We'd love for everybody to turn there, and we know everybody's new to Bible study at some point. You can also just put the Googles on it, and it will turn up on your phone right now, and so we'd love for you to do that. Um, but in verse 21, Jesus is, this is what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and um, Jesus is giving, just, he's really recalibrating how we think about the rules that we live out, okay? How we think about the rules that have been given. He's recalibrating that um, to move beyond the rules, beyond, beyond just our behavior to our heart transformation. And so in verse 21, he says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, so you may know, if you know, anybody heard of the Ten Commandments? You got the Ten Commandments? Okay, anybody, anybody want to come up here and say them real quick? Right, I've got a mint in my pocket. That'll be your prize. Right? <laughs> you got it? Um, and so... The Ten Commandments, God gave the Ten Commandments to give some parameters. Hey, this is how you'll know if you're in the right lane. And there's a handful of them, four of them, that are given, tell about our relationship with God. And then there, the rest of them are given about how we relate to other people. One of them is do not murder. That's what he's referring to. He says don't murder or you'll be liable to judgment. And the whole idea is, is that the punishment fits the crime. So if you murder somebody, if you kill somebody, then you're going you're gonna, to... Lose your life, you're going to be stoned. And I think all of us, if we were to take a poll today and say, what are the, man, the top crimes that someone commit, the top sins that someone could commit, murder would be at the top. Would you agree? Like murder's at the top. Like here's what sometimes people will say this. I'll be talking to them about something like, and, and we'll be talking about how good they are. Like how good are you? Well, I haven't killed anybody. I feel like that's a very low bar. And so we know that it's at the top of the list. And so Jesus says, hey, you've heard this. Like, you know this. This is something that's in your wheelhouse. Then he keeps on going in verse 22. He says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoa, 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 hold on. So if I'm angry, it's the same thing as murder is what he's saying. I get the same punishment. Because something is going on underneath the surface that Jesus is trying to get at, isn't he? He's getting how we think about people. See, Jesus wants to think of us to think about people the way he thinks about people. And people are the most important thing to Jesus and to God. It's a little like this. If, if you're a parent, you know that you love it when your kids get along and take up for each other, don't we? Like some of you got your kids with you. Don't you love it when they get along? The reason why they're sitting on one end and their siblings on the other end is because they don't, right? And you know they're going to fight while I'm preaching here today. No, um, but you love it when they do things for each other. So, for instance, when I was a small boy, um, I uh, would go get my hair cut by a guy named Tony Catania. And Tony would always give me candy. And then I would say, can I have some for my sister? Now, I was really going to eat both of them, but no. Uh, but that, you know, my mom loved that, right? And I love it. You know, two of my boys were in town this weekend. So good to see them together. Man, you love it when your kids do stuff together. And God loves it when his children love each other, not when they're angry. And so he's trying to point this out. He says, listen, if you're angry, you're, you might as well be liable to judgment. He goes on. And then, and he knows that we could go through life and never murder anybody. But anger still lurks underneath the surface, doesn't it? Like, when I bring up the idea of anger, there's somebody you're angry at right now. Months, years, decades, and you're still angry. You're still holding a grudge against them, and it really is wrecking you. And this is what Jesus is trying to get at. He goes on to use a couple of other words. He says that um, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So the word for insult really just means a contempt for character. 
It's just moral assassination. I don't know about you, but I was thinking through this this week. I think I was probably in the fifth or sixth grade when I learned to insult. I don't know when it, I don't know when it happens now. Everything happens earlier now, doesn't it? So it's probably, you know, in the womb. You know, I mean, you learn to insult people. But I can remember learning an insult. And, and, and usually the coup de grace, if you, couldn't, if you, were, if you could not come up with a, a better alternative, what you would always say is, your mama. That was always the one. Anybody say that? Your mama, right? Yeah, you remember that. Now today, today that'd be called bullying, right? And you'd be in trouble. Now in my day, uh, when we raised men and not little boys, we, <laughs> come on, come on, come on. That was just called, that was just called growing up. Now today, now I know, I'm going to talk about bullying in a minute. It's a real thing. That ain't bullying, right? Your mama, that's bullying. Come on, let's go. Now if you texted it, a different story. But um, insult. So he says, don't do that. Then he says, you fool. You call somebody a fool, you're going to be punished. If you call somebody a fool, it's in the same category as this anger, which is in the same category as murder. This is what Jesus is saying. Now for fool, it just means being empty-headed. But you just call somebody like, you are so, right? Have you ever heard somebody say this? Bless your heart. We all know what that means. They just left out the last phrase. Am I wrong? Bless your heart. You are so stupid. That's what that means. This is literally what he's saying. You ever been in traffic and thought, what are they thinking? They're not a very good driver. What are they thinking? In other words, they are empty-headed. Like, listen, I think a lot of us have done that. And what Jesus said, you got to watch that. Man, that's going to lead you down a path of destruction that you do not want to go down, is what he says. And what I'm communicating in those moments is that everything about me is better than anything about you. Everything about me is better than anything about you. And when we use insult and anger and we call names, what we're, what we're doing with our words is we're wanting to leave them in someone's life to continue to haunt them beyond the moment. You know, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We know this. The words that we say are powerful. Those who love it will eat its fruits. When we understand how powerful our words are, because here's what happens. Jesus says this. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Words are not empty words. They are full. They are full of your heart. What are they saying? I can remember when, an interview with Billy Graham. Anybody remember Billy Graham? Right? Awesome guy. Right? Billy Graham was interviewed. And because Billy Graham went to every White House for, I think, eight different presidencies, one of the White Houses that he visited, one of the presidents he prayed for was Richard Nixon. Now, Billy Graham has a lot to say about a lot of things. The guy was way ahead of his time, lots of wisdom. And someone asked him, what was the most disappointing thing after the Watergate impeachment uh, ish, uh, crimes? He said, it was hearing the tapes and hearing President Nixon's language. Because he knew that the words that he spoke were full of his heart. And so Jesus is like, you got to be careful about that. And what happens is we become an expert in someone else's weakness. Are you an expert in your spouse's weakness or strength? Your parents, are you an expert in their weakness? Your children. If they were to look at your words and what you say, you become an, we can become an expert in their weakness rather than their strength, and we'll miss out on everything that God has given them in life. We don't want to be an expert in someone else's weakness if for the only reason I don't want them to be an expert in mine. Because when we're an expert in someone else's weakness, we forget our own frailty, 
and we lose humility, which is a key to life. Listen, don't become an expert in somebody else's weakness. Man, there's a, what happens when you use your words to harm people. It's like planting a landmine in their brain. I just wanted to give you an example of this. In the Vietnam War, uh, there was rampant planting of, and burial of landmines throughout the country. And in 1975, that war ended. And to this day, there are 800,000 tons of undetonated landmines in that country. 800,000 tons. Since the war was over, 100,000 casualties from landmines, 40,000 deaths, and the war's been over. One particular uh, mom I was reading about uh, this week is she was out in 1986, she was out in the garden with her dad, detonated a landmine, and it blew her legs off. This is what we're doing when we plant insults and words into people's minds. We're leaving it there to come up later and to continue to haunt them for their lives. And listen, we, nobody wants to be that kind of person, do we? We don't want to do that. We have to be careful what we call people. Now listen, anger is going to flesh itself out in a lot of ways. Okay, some, for some people, it is fury and rage. You know what I mean? It is loud, and it's the whole tip, stereotypical smokes coming out of their ears, and they'll get done. They're like, well, I feel so much better now. Yeah, everybody feels better after they vomit, but it's the people who got to clean it up that's the problem, right? Like, we just spew it all over everybody, and we think, oh, I feel better. Yeah, they're still wiping it off their face. Man, for some people, that's what, for some people, it's withdrawal. You know, I'm just going to go and take my toys and go home. I'm going to go read a book. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. I'm going to go in the other room. I've got something to do. And we just withdraw. It's the same emotion. It's anger. It's frustration. For some people, it's sarcasm. Anybody an expert in sarcasm? Come on. Let's go. I'm a PhD, right? <laughs> hey, love that haircut. Did you do it yourself? Right? I mean, sarcasm. Like, there's sarcasm everywhere. And we can use sarcasm as a knife to cut somebody's heart out. We're sarcastic. Um, gossip, another one, never good. I, but, but the one that does work, actually, if you want to gossip, please put it on social media. That's the way to go. Like the way I did that sarcasm thing right there. And so we'll put some stuff on. We'll say some stuff about somebody behind their back. We don't want to say it to their face. And then maybe we may post it anonymously or this person or this situation, with, and we'll put it on social media. And this is what God, Jesus is saying that's destroying, it's severing your relationships. You know, for somebody who does engage in gossip, uh, or excuse me, someone who is angry and has this seething cauldron underneath the surface, you have health problems. Your health is worse than people who don't have anger. It destroys your health. You're, you are more stressed and you have less life satisfaction. And it destroys your relationships. It destroys your relationships. There's people that maybe, maybe just maybe, that you have said things to or have said things to you and the relationship has been severed, and you have some regret, but you don't know how to make it right. For some of you, it's maybe even brewing in your marriage right now or in your dating relationship or maybe with some friends right now, and it has this potential to sever your relationships. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Now watch how he bridges the gap. Watch how he bridges the gap. In uh, the next few verses, he says, you fool, you'll be liable to the hell of fire. That just feels extreme. So if you were offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you've come to church and you're sitting down to worship and you volunteered and you gave online, you've done all the things you know to do, and, says, and then you remember that your brother has something against you, right? that you've done something to bring this break, 
you've offended someone, whatever it may be. There's something that's been wrong that's happened, and you know it's on you. He's saying, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Notice he doesn't say, take it with you and come back. <laughs> he says, leave it. He says, then go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. And so what Jesus is saying here is the antidote to anger is forgiveness. Like, the antidote to anger is Forgiveness, the way to bridge between bad anger and good anger is forgiveness. Then he goes on to use a legal illustration. He says, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Unless your accuser, and this is a a, a court case that would have been a civil case. It was about money. They were suing each other. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And so what he's saying is if you have this issue, you need to do everything within your power to make it right. Like, you may not be able to, but you need to do everything you can to make this right, to restore the relationship. You know, someone has said this about unforgiveness. They says unforgiveness is like holding somebody hostage and realizing that hostage is you. Like, how many years have you been angry? Who do you know that's angry with somebody that's held them back and held them captive? You know, there's an old saying that says you should never look down on somebody unless you're helping them up. Like, that's good anger, isn't it? Come on. And so Jesus uses this idea of reconciliation to help us bridge and understand what is the solution to bad anger. And then we know throughout the Bible that there's this this, uh, type of anger, and it's called slow to anger. It's this righteous anger. It's this holy anger. And so uh, this is the whole idea of don't press send yet. How do we get to the yet? I think we all know about not pressing sin, but when can we press sin? Like, when can we respond? When can we engage anchor? You know, there's a passage over in Exodus chapter 6, 34, excuse me, Exodus chapter 34. Some of you may remember this story. Let me give you a little background for those of you who don't know this story. There's a nation of Israel, God's people, and they are moving from slavery into the promised land. It says God saw their pain, he saw their hurt, and he is moving them into the promised land, a land of freedom. This is always the journey God's got us on, from being enslaved to being in freedom. And so he's come to Moses, and Moses is the one who's going to lead these three million Jews on this journey. And so he's explaining to, God is explaining to Moses exactly who he is. And so he says this, the Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, he's telling him who he is, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Now, all week long, I really worked hard on how do you articulate slow to anger? Like, like what is the best way, what is the catchy phrase? The only thing I can come with, up with is these two words, not fast, okay? We all know what slow means. It means not fast. It means methodical. It means think it through. It means your filter should always work before you say something. Not fast. God is not fast to anger. He does not have a hair trigger. And abounding in love. So in this moment, what God does is he attaches his anger. It doesn't say no anger. It says slow to anger. It doesn't say blow up anger either. He says slow to anger. He attaches it to his steadfast love. Like God's anger is attached to his love. Then he goes on and says, love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. And so here's what anger should be for us. Anger should be love in motion. Anger should be love in motion. When you love somebody or something, you will do whatever you have to to protect it. Come on, right? 
If, you, if somebody you know and you love is in trouble, you're going to do whatever it takes. And you're going to be angry for them, not angry at them. And you're going to want to help them. And this is the description we have of God. That we want to go and we want to be a people that gets angry for people, not angry at people. Listen, this makes you win. It makes you stronger. In the, in the book of Proverbs, I love this. It says, whoever is slow to anger, not fast, is better than the mighty. Don't you love to be better? Don't you just love to win? Anybody in here love to win? Right? That's why we're all depressed. Because our sports teams aren't doing so good. Because we like to win. Because we like bragging rights, mostly. But we like, when you're slow to anger, this word means valiant warrior. You win. You will win whatever battle you were in. Then he goes on and says, he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You're also, you operate with more wisdom. He goes on to say, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. He who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So if you're slow to anger, you make better decisions. You don't do a lot of things that you regret. You don't do a lot of things that you have to undo, undelete, unsend. But if, if you have a hasty temper, you do things that are foolish, he says. So we know that we're better. We know that it, uh, being hasty is going to exalt folly in our life. And nobody would want to do that. And we need to learn what it means to be slow to, to anger. If you're slow to anger, what it means is you're going to make a surgical strike against the problem. I, I can remember in high school, you know, going through history and reading about the bomb at Hiroshima and seeing the mushroom clouds and just seeing what devastating, how terrible that was. But then when we come to modern day warfare, where we were able to put a missile into a specific cave in a specific region in the, in the world, we have surgical strikes now. Doesn't mean there's still not some collateral damage, but we have surgical strikes, much more intentional. And this is what slow to anger will give us. Listen, what are you angry about? What are you angry about that matters? What are you angry about that's meaningful? Like, does poverty make you angry? I, I want to draw a distinction between being angry and being emotional. Like, I can show a video right now of some children and difficult places in the world and everybody get emotional. But I'm talking about angry to where you need to do something about it. I think we need to find this place of anger in our lives so we can know what we should do something about. Listen, if you're not angry enough to do something about it, you're not angry enough. And if you don't have the anger that God has placed in you to make some steps to do something productive, you're going to miss out on his purpose in your life. For some people, it's poverty. For some people, it's human trafficking. You know, we have more slaves in the world now than we've had in any point in history. And some people go and they give their lives to take over that problem. For some of you, maybe it's, maybe it's fatherless. Maybe it's fatherless children. And you mentor and the kids are coming over to your house all the time. Like, What is it for you that makes you angry? Second question to ask, does God get angry about that? I don't think God is angry about parking at Avalon. Let me just say that. But I do think he's angry about poverty. I do know that he's angry about the fatherless. I do know that he doesn't want anybody to live in slavery. I do know that he wants everybody to be loved. I do know that he wants everybody to have a place. Listen, what, is God angry about the thing that you're angry about? And when you can find this intersection between what you're angry about and what God is angry about, that is where you will find the meaning of life. 
That is where you're going to find your purpose. That's where you're going to find satisfaction. And when your anger about the meaningful things gets big enough, your anger about the smaller things, it's going to fade. It's going to fade. Show me your anger. I'll show you how big your life is. What is it that you're angry about? And God's angry for us. He's not angry at us. A couple of stories. I can remember the first time as I look back on my life um, when I kind of had this this anger. I was, there was a friend of mine named Michael Fothery. Michael had cystic fibrosis. Some of you know how devastating that is. It's just, uh, he, he coughed and he was, his growth was stunted and he just looked sickly all the time. Michael was two years younger than me. So I was in the ninth grade. He was in the seventh grade. And of course, Michael has since, uh, he has since died because of this disease. But I can remember we were in line at a, at a ball game in the middle school at the high school, I mean, at the middle school basketball, excuse me. And, um, while we're, we're in the concession stand, and Michael goes to order something. And there was this eighth grader who was really large. And he starts picking on Michael. And this, this kid's bigger than me. And so I had a response for him. And it may not have been the most holy response in the world. But basically, at the end of the conversation, there was an invitation to go throw some hands outside, right? I mean, that was kind of... And he would have wiped the floor with me. This kid was big, and he was tough, and he would kill me, but something came out of me because I didn't want my friend who needed some help in that moment. Uh, I can remember there was another time recently <clears throat> um, back in uh, the first part of the year, I think it was February, when we were in Indonesia with Shia Safe, who is uh, engaged in human trafficking in some of the most difficult places in the world. And so we're in this restaurant. And we're in a restaurant, and there's this a couple, a male and female, having, lunch, having dinner in this restaurant. And the male, he's old. I'm just going to be honest. He is old. Like, he is way older than me. Like, he is way too old to be sitting with this teenage girl from Indonesia. Does that make sense? You get in the picture? You see what I see? So I'm at the back, right? And I'm, we're in the table in the back, and I'd gone to the restroom. I come back, and I did have enough sense to not do anything in the moment. I came back to my seat, and I started, hey, why? I was angry. Like, why aren't we doing something about this? We should go up there and turn the table over. We should go up there and just rip this guy's throat out. Like, we should go take care of business. We are men. We, we, are, we grew up in the men generation, right? I mean, we know how to handle these kind of things. And, of course, they're like, hey, hey hold, hold on just a minute. And so... We began to talk it down, and what you realize in those moments is that's really not going to do you a lot of good in that particular situation. You're going to lose the battle. You may win the battle, you're going to lose the war. And so we talked it out. We were slow to anger, and then, of course, we have a presence in this particular city now with, through She is Safe. But that's the kind of anger that I'm talking about. Listen, what are you angry about? What is it that you need to fix? What problem do you need to solve? What wrong do you need to right? What is broken that you need to fix? What are you angry about? What are you angry about? Now, now, the beauty of this type of anger and the reason why we can have this type of anger is because this is the type of anger that Jesus had. Jesus got angry more than once. I don't want to say he had an anger problem but because he was Jesus, and he'll get me for saying that. But he got angry. So watch this. In, in John chapter 11, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, her sister's name was Mary and Lazarus. So these three friends. And he would go stay at their house. Whenever he was passing through town, he would hang out with them. He loved them. They were friends. So notice this connection between love. Now what we know about Lazarus is that Lazarus dies. Okay, And, La- and he dies before Jesus can get there. 
And here's Jesus' response when he gets there. In John chapter 11, he says, Jesus saw her weeping, meaning Martha, the sister. He saw the Jews who had come. They were weeping. So if they're weeping, obviously, they are mourning, they are sad, they're devastated. It says, he was deeply moved. Now, the word for deeply moved to us looks like a visual word that we would see as anger. But that word literally means to snort with rage like an animal. Snort with rage like an animal. So Jesus makes some physical sounds that let them know he wasn't just sad. He was mad. He was angry because of what had happened. He was angry for them. He's not angry at the Jews. He's not angry at Martha. He is angry that death has stolen their freedom. Then it says in his spirit, he was greatly troubled. This means stirred up. Jesus was stirred up because of his friends, because of what had happened to them. And listen, let me tell you something today. God is not angry at you. He is angry for you. God is angry for what's happened to you in your life. God is angry for the burdens you've been called to carry. God's angry for the health problems that have stolen your smile. Listen, God is angry for you. And he is angry that we are separated from him. You know, the reality is the only bridge back to him is through forgiveness. Like when we understand that we have been forgiven, then we'll have a whole relationship with God and then we can forgive. So whatever anger you're harboring today, whatever has happened, God wants to step into the midst of that and not just have you say some words that you forgive, but that your heart would truly forgive because it's holding you hostage today. Listen, I think probably one of the most vivid pictures of this type of forgiveness we saw in the news just a couple of weeks ago. You may remember that there was um, a shooting of a, in Dallas, Texas. A police officer, a white female police officer, uh, is going home to her apartment. And by her own testimony, she said that she, she got confused and she wasn't paying attention. And she walks into an apartment that's not hers. And when she walks in that apartment, there is a black man sitting on the couch eating ice cream. And she feels like, according to her testimony, that she was threatened. So she shoots and kills this man. Man, he didn't do anything. He is blameless. And so they go through the trial, and as most of you know, she's convicted of murder. So they come to the point where they go through the sentencing phase. And in the sentencing phase, this man's brother reads a letter in front of the court, in front of the judge, in front of this police officer. And here's what he wrote. He says, if you, speaking to the police officer, if you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself, I forgive you. Now here, this, this man, this brother is carrying the weight of his family. He's carrying the weight of all the racial undertones and overtones of this incident. He's carrying all that. And he says, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think that anyone can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking on behalf of my family, but I love you just like anybody else. And I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I personally want what's best for you. And I wasn't going to say, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anybody, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what my brother would want me to do. And the best thing you could do would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that my brother would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person, and I don't wish anything bad on you. 
And then he turns to the judge and he says, I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? And we've seen the photo that's gone viral over the last few weeks. That this man whose brother had been needlessly murdered gives a hug to his brother's murderer. What a picture of forgiveness. And man, I don't know all the dynamics, but here's what I do know. That brother will not be held hostage by anger for the rest of his life. That brother will be able to live in freedom because of the forgiveness that he had. And the only reason he was able to forgive because he knew that he'd been forgiven. What a great picture that the only thing he wanted was for this police officer to give her life to Christ. And in that moment, what we see is the only way forgiveness could happen was if he initiated it. She could ask for it, but he had to initiate it, and he did. And this is the story of the cross that Jesus died on. That on the cross, Jesus initiated forgiveness for me and for you. That, that this symbolically, I think what's beautiful about the cross is that when we picture Jesus on there, he is opening his arms for us, isn't he? This is the image that we have, that, that on the cross, all of God's anger was poured out on Jesus because he was angry for us, that we didn't have to endure it. And many of you have been going for years and months and you've never experienced this love that comes through understanding forgiveness that God offers you and the price that Jesus paid on the cross. And you go through and anger seems to, anger seems to simmer and some days you feel stirred up but you don't know what that means. And let me tell you what that means. Your heart being stirred up is God initiating his love towards you for forgiveness. Listen, you can't go too far from God. He would do anything he can to break down any barrier to reach you. Let me help you this morning experience the love that comes to understanding the forgiveness of Jesus. Let's pray together. You know, just in, in your own heart, I think it's good to just examine these still moments of just what it is that's happening in there. Like, how are you uh, handling the anger that you've had in the past? And how do you view God's anger towards you? I just want to tell you God loves you. And there's a certain group of people in here that you, 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 need, you need to take a step to follow Jesus today. You know, the Bible teaches us this. When we order our lives around him, when we ask him to forgive give us of our sins, we get a new heart. We get transformed motives that our life is different. But until you do that, you're going to be filling that void in your life with darkness. And the way that you fill it with light is to begin to follow Jesus. And I would love to help you just by leading you in a prayer to help bring a rec reconciliation to that nagging in your heart today. So if you are here and you know that you need to make that step to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to pray after me. There's nothing magical about my prayers. I just happen to have the mic. God knows the prayer of your heart today. Dear God, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for wanting to do life on my own and not responding to your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I trust in Jesus today. I will follow him with every fiber of my being today. I believe he came and offers forgiveness of sins. You know, and the Bible says that when you make that prayer, and you make that commitment to follow Jesus, you get a new heart. And here's what I love with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If, if, if that was you today, if you prayed for the first time 
to follow Jesus, I'm just going to ask you just to quietly and silently slip your hand up in the air. Just raise your hand for me. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, why don't we celebrate that right there? Come on, somebody. People just gave their life to follow Jesus. God, thank you for being slow to anger. And God, that we have this ability to turn to you in times of difficulty. And God, that there's this anger that we've harbored for years and it continues to boil underneath the surface of our lives, God, because we haven't completely embraced your forgiveness. God, I pray for those who've had family members that have wronged them. God, they have faced, uh, man, they certainly would have right and reason to be angry. But God, you don't want them to be angry. God, you want them to have forgiveness so that they can be whole. You want to restore relationships. You want to give us purpose and meaning. And I pray today's a day we can feel that burden lifted as we worship you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we're going to close out today's service through worship. Hey, if you are one that raised your hand, we just want to celebrate with you. I'm going to invite you while we worship to join those from the first service to go back to the I raise my hand sign. We're just going to take a brief moment to give you some tools, to give you a playbook for the next steps in your journey. So if you would, let's all stand together and let's worship.